Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Good evening, Kevin. How's it going? It's going. Good to see you, Kyle. Uh, awesome. Mate. Hey, man. Thanks for, for joining me on this. Uh, it's Friday night, our fun night for... Uh, what's traditionally our Kamloops convention, we're doing our wild sheep um, salute to conservation. And, uh, you know, Barney's is a big part of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, and we're super grateful for, for everything you do. So I was really pumped when you said you'd come on and uh, you'd do something with us tonight. Thanks, man. No problem. I appreciate you having me for sure. All right. So we said we're going to have some bevies. It's a fun night after all. So what do you got going over there? So uh, local brewery uh, did a kind of a custom Barney's IPA featuring a quite the uh, band of rams uh taken by a local photographer wow. here but uh so your local local brew very cool and it's barney specific like you it's branded to you guys yeah so i mean he does little little kickoffs um little collaborations with different businesses and things like that and and uh, he's a big big hunter so this worked out where we got to get together and kind of create something kind of cool Right on, man. That's that's awesome. Okay, well, cheers. Here's to that. Cheers. I'll, uh, I'll drink to that. Right on. So, um, you know, Kevin, uh, Barney's has been around forever, um, and you guys have been a huge supporter of the society and done a ton of work for us. But, um, you know, I identified with Barney's back in the Bob days. This was uh, a decade or 15 years ago. Do you, do you mind, like, for our listeners, just go a little bit into the history of Barney's, uh, the evolution and, and kind of your history with with, I know you're the owner now and run yeah. run a great business there in Alaska. So, Yeah, it's super important to kind of obviously pay respect to kind of obviously the forefathers of the business itself. I mean, back in 1963, Barney, the original owner, of course, um, started it. It was a small little cross-country ski shop, um, you know, much smaller profile than it is now, even though I think we could all agree when you visit Barney's, you, you'd naturally think it was a bigger place. But uh, it started a cross-country shop kind of slowly integrated into some sporting goods um obviously some hunting packs and things like that but more from a backpacking perspective hence um and i 1985 i believe bob who most people in the hunting industry know obviously as kind of the father of barney's uh, came on as a young 19 20 year old and purchased the store and kind of made it what it is i mean i was just talking about him today where 
you know, Gok, I mean, all things aside, it's just looking at what he created. It's really one of the coolest kind of hunting shops around the world. Um, and, you know, brought in obviously a lot of bigger brands and a lot of more technical clothing. And I mean, even some of the big name guys, uh, I know Jonathan, Jonathan and some of those guys over at Sitka, a lot of the guys who have been there a long time, I mean, came to Bob for advice on, on textiles and things like that back before some of these big brands were even a thing. So you walk in here now and what I've really tried to do is just take that platform and just continue building on it. I mean, you're going to see brands in here that you're just not going to see under one roof anywhere in the world for that matter. So it's just been a, a really cool shop that I think got a great following, a lot of history um, and not really any kind of animosity towards any any specific you know group organization it's always been kind of a free floating like we like to support anybody that's willing to support us um and you know just a great little shop yeah and and my hat's off to your organization um to to barney's you know like i said bob used to come down every year to the show um back in the old days he'd fly in and um, drive up to the interior and he'd have all his gear with him. I bought a bunch of stuff over him over the years. I think I bought my first pack off of Bob there. And, um, you know, and you've kept that, you know, sorry, back up, up. We always did a Friday night fun night and Bob would always, um, you know, sponsor it and he'd, he'd do a gear talk. And so that's kind of where this concept came. We're doing this virtual thing online now. And, you know, we wanted to keep kind of true to our history. And, and uh, you know, we always were so grateful for everything you guys did. And this, we thought this is a cool opportunity we can have you on here and talk about, you know, kind of latest, greatest. And that's what Bob would do. He'd come on on the Friday night. We'd be all sitting around drinking beers and bullshitting. And uh, he'd start talking about gear. He'd get up on the stage. And, you know, I, at times I felt sorry for Bob because guys were talking so loud and he'd be presenting. But, uh, you know, I think it was a great show for him, a great fit. And and you've kept that tradition alive. You've been one of our greatest supporters, Kevin, um, you know, through all our raffles and everything. Every year we do our, um, our, uh, our sheep raffle. Uh, the ultimate sheep hunter package and that thing just is oh it was the first one to sell out this year i think we sold out in you know half uh half the time that we had had for it so anyway i just want to thank you for all you do and, and i'm looking forward tonight to to talking gear so we got lots of new sheep hunters we got lots of guys that have been hunting for years um you know i'm by no means an experienced guy but i'm you know been out in the field before and i'm always in the shop talking to you and you've always got the latest and greatest so i think this is a kind of a cool opportunity to touch base with you and one of the things I love about what you do, Kevin, is that, um, you know, I'll come in and I'll say, well, tell me about your Barney stuff. You go, yeah, okay, I'll tell you about that. But this is maybe a better fit for you. It's And, uh, you know, before we got going tonight, um, you know, we touched a little bit on that. So, you know, kind of talk about your philosophy as a, as a store owner or a business owner and, you know, finding the right gear for the guy and, and how you approach that as an owner. Yeah, I, I think that the, it's where I like to start. I mentioned it earlier. It's where I like to start with with anybody who comes in, whether it's, you know, uh, an experienced sheep hunter or somebody that's brand new to it, uh, is to really start with this concept that, you know, no matter where you are, where you come from, what your background is, how much gear you have currently, um, it's important to understand that there's no real wrong way of doing it. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're all hunters, right? So we all want to get out and we all want to have a good time. And I think as sheep hunters specifically, we, uh, we really gravitate towards anybody who else who, who shares in the passion, right? So um, what I like to start with is like, don't overwhelm people, obviously the new people, you don't want to overwhelm them with this idea that, wow, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna spend thousands and thousands of dollars in this sport. I mean, naturally, it's gonna happen, right? But I think it's important to understand that 
you know, there's always going to be guys that kind of initially, like they've been doing it a lot longer than me, maybe. Um, and they have their own way of doing things. And I like to be very respectful of that. I think that it's important to let let people kind of know that look, there's one, more than one way to do this. Um, and we don't have all the answers, but we, we have one of the best selections I'd say, to help you kind of get to that point where, and I think you could understand this too, every hunt you go on, if you're not learning something new, whether it's a trick you know, that your buddy decided to pull out on you or a piece of gear that he pulled out that you're like, Hey, where'd you get that? Right. Um, or, Hey, you know, I went, I went hunting with this other guy and he had this way of doing something that I just never really thought of before. And I'm going to start using that in my system. That's important. I think it's, if you lose that, you might as well stop. Right. I mean, I think the beauty of sheep hunting is, is far beyond just the animals and the experience of, of harvesting one of these things. It's the whole emotional roller coaster of a trip that it incorporates. And I think from my perspective, it's it's about the gear, right? I and mean, that's my job and that's my passion is is really just making sure that we have a great selection of, of gear. Um, but then as you mentioned, it, to start off by kind of leveling the playing field, right? So who you are, where you're coming from, what do you already have? The best example I could give you is we get a lot of non-resident traffic, right? And so I think that, you know, some of these guys, it's a, it's a trip of a lifetime. Um, but to be fair, you never know who you're talking to. So you're probably talking to somebody that has been all over the world and hunted many, many species of sheep. Um, and the last thing that they want to hear is, well, you got to start over, right? Um, so what I like to do is evaluate what you have, what's going to cross over already well, and then what maybe you might need to add that might help, right? And obviously that's an experienced hunter that already has stuff, but on the back end of that, let's say it's somebody new. Um, it's important for them to know where are the key places to throw your money, right? So, I mean, between footwear and packs, what, where are the areas that are going to help you the most succeed? You know, if you want to wear cotton base layers, wear cotton base layers. But hey, maybe you can have a nice insulated jacket and a, a nice hard shell, you know, like buy the buy the better base layers next year or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think just kind of evaluating who you are, what, you, what you're going to do, um, and then really making sure that people understand there's more than one way to do this and there's no wrong way to do it. If you're out there sheep hunting, you're doing it right, right? I mean, you're going to learn. Nobody starts at the top. And we all were there. We've all we've all used cheap gear, and that's how we get to where we are today. If we get to the point where we're like, we're not playing that game anymore, right? So that's just what I like to do. Uh, that's how Bob did it. That's what I like to do, and I, I think it really correlates into just who we are as a business. Yeah, it's fantastic, and and I've always loved that about it uh, about you guys too. Um, you've been always uh, customer first and real genuine in in the approach. Uh, when I've dealt with you, and, and I think that's why you have the respect in the industry that you guys do. Uh, so you mentioned there, Kevin, specifically about uh, prioritizing, you know, gear and that sort of stuff, and trying to figure out what's important to a good guy. Um, but when you, when when a, somebody comes in and they got a, a fixed budget and they say, "I need some gear," um, where should I, where should I invest? Um, what what would you say when you're looking at a guy? What would you say is a priority for? for that when you're when you're evaluating it sure sure yeah and i mean i think it's a it's a great question because it comes up all the time right and we're we're about i think we're three days away from finding out the draw hunt results here in alaska and so what i'm going to start to see is guys who have drawn the first tag of their life they want to try sheep hunting 
um, or even just hunting in general up here. Um, and they're going to come in and they're going to say, hey, look, I've never done this before. I'm on a fixed budget. Where do I start, right? So there's some key areas that I think, again, I think it's very important to note that everybody's opinion on, on these key items is going to be a little bit different. But I think we could all agree, anybody that spent any time in the mountains and carried a big heavy pack for a long period of time, footwear is huge, right? So I personally think footwear is a great place to start, especially early in the season. Like right now is a great time to start prepping for those fall hunts. If you need a new pair of boots or consider reevaluating your current boots, now's the time to do it because that's a big ticket item that you, it's only going to get better with time, right? So the worst case scenario is you start picking out tents and you start picking out sleeping bags, and backpacks and things, which are all key things. There's no question. Um, but I think we could all agree that the boots are what really pay those dividends in, in, in the in the back 40 type of concept, right? Where, you know, you got a big heavy pack on, things are good, life's great, and all of a sudden your soles are falling off or your feet are blistered to heck, which might happen anyways. Uh, but I think footwear is huge. Um, and then as you start to build off of that, we kind of we kind of snowball into, you know, what we do best here at Barney's, and that's backpacks, right? I think a backpack is just as as uh, critical in your gear as your as your footwear is and i think we've all been there where we've used backpacks that my goodness you put more than 60 70 pounds in them and everything starts to change right um and then you know you kind of you get into your conversation about tents and sleeping bags and rain gear and things of that nature but i think that if i had to pick two things that you should start early on that's footwear and backpack i think if you can get your footwear and your backpack nailed down the rest can start care of itself i mean worst case scenario your tent blows down and you're going to survive right i mean it's gonna you're going to be able to put your boots on the next day and hike your butt out of there um but those are kind of the key categories i think especially where we are today being what february middle middle of february um guys start looking at that right now start, talk, start talking about okay let's reevaluate my footwear um you know don't wait till august or you know depending on where you're at in the country or the world for that matter of when your hunt starts give yourself some time to break those in and back to the heart of your question, it's a big ticket item. And I think that it takes the most time to find the right fit with footwear. So that's what I would I would suggest first. Okay, cool. So you've got um, somebody that's looking at, at boots. And I know you guys used to uh, offer the option of plastic or leather boots. Is that still an option that you guys offer? Well, I mean, it's still a thing, right? So, I mean... Plastic boots, of course, came out of the mountaineering world. Uh, double boot concept, a lot of great features of a plastic boot, no question. I mean, it's it's always funny because it's one of the things when you take when we travel around to our national hunting conventions. You know, we're sitting at the show in Reno, and you get somebody that walks up. Or a better example would be Dallas, Texas, right, where you get a, a country boy that walks up and and sees this double ski boot, uh, and they're like. What's going on here, right? It, it's something that I mean, guys like Bob, um, some of the forefathers of sheep hunting in general, really brought to the forefront. Um, and they have a lot of a lot of good properties, right? But unfortunately, um, as we're starting to see supply and demand and things to that nature, I mean, those boots are made over in Austria. A lot of that's where the company's from. I haven't seen a pair of plastic double boots in, in a good five six years. So. Oh really. Wow. Yeah, so unfortunately, I mean, you can find them secondhand, things like that. But, you know, there's some, there's technology is getting better and better and better. I mean, uh, even in leather boots. So, 
you know, although stream crossings are a big part of sheep hunting, and that's always been a battle, right, from like a wading system perspective, how do we get across without soaking our boots? And that's where that's where plastic boots really came in. Um, I think that leather boots are really, really the future of, of what's going to be out there in the market these days. Um, and obviously, I, I, just like our backpack selection here, I feel like our boot selection is, is bar none. I mean, in terms of we've kind of gone through and weeded out. I mean, I think that's just kind of the traditional Barneys in general is like, you know, it's not in here if it doesn't work, right? And I mean, with brands like Christie coming into the market, you've got Kenetrek, which has been a stronghold forever. I mean, the kind of silent majority is your Loas, your Scarpas, things of that nature. I mean, there's a lot of good boots out there. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, plastic boots are kind of going by the wayside. Okay, cool. Um, so... Yeah, so you mentioned you know uh, a, a variety of boots you guys carry. I know um, you sold me a pair of Hanwikes a few years ago. Um, they were a good boot. Um, I recently switched to Loas. Really happy with those. Um, so you get a guy that comes in the store. It's pretty easy. Try some boots on, whatever. But a guy calls in from Dawson Creek, from BC somewhere, right? And right. can't come in the store. Doesn't have a Cabela's or some big box store nearby. Doesn't have really any options. How do they, where do they start? Like, uh, obviously there's a conversation there, but what kind of advice do you give guys like that that call you up and say, Kevin, send me a pair of boots. How do they figure out what's going to work for them? Obviously a challenge, right? I mean, it's something that being in Anchorage, Alaska has really kind of uh, presented major issues, right? I mean, and that's kind of where like the expertise, the knowledge, I mean, Bob was very good about, you know, reassuring people. And obviously he trained me to be what I am today. So, um, you know, the key is, is, it's really not that complicated. I think that the one comment that we make a lot here in the store, when, when people are trying on boots, you know, there's, there's all different kinds of people that try on boots. There's the kind of guy that walks in, the first pair of boots you hand him, he puts his foot in them, doesn't even lace them up and says, these are them. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where you've got a guy that's trying on five, six, seven pairs of boots, two different sizes. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest key is don't overthink it, right? I mean, get yourself into a scenario. I mean, to be fair, you've got Italians and you've got Germans. They build the best boots. So, I mean, whether you're looking at Scarpa, Zamberlin, La Sportiva, Christie, those are all your Italians, right? Italians are generally known for building a little bit more of a technical fit, a little bit narrower boot, a um, little tighter in the heel. In nature, can be a little too narrow for some people. Um, whereas Germans, uh, they build a little bit fuller of a boot. I mean, everybody kind of knows Mendel. Unfortunately, Mendel is really not brought into the U.S. as much anymore. Um, but Loa, Hanvog, um, those are going to be built on a little wider last, a little fuller cut. Um, and same thing with Penetrek going into that Italian side of things. I mean, so I think the biggest key is when somebody calls in, we, we kind of try to identify, all right, what kind of foot problems do you have, right? Do you have a wide foot? Do you have a narrow foot? Have you ever had issues? Um you know, with your feet in general, we can talk about aftermarket insoles. After we narrow down kind of the brand, the, you know, the concept, we start to ask questions like, okay, have you ever had any issues with heels? Like, have you ever had, you know, blisters on your heels? Or if you ever had issues up front where, you know, your pinky toes getting crimped? I mean, there, there are boots that we carry that, you know, we can ask specific questions and kind of start to narrow down what kind of foot you've got. Um, and then of course we play the old fashioned trade game, right? Where, we do our best shot. We send them to you. If some guys, if some guys will float two or three pairs at a time and then return the ones that don't work. Uh, I'm, we're always willing to do that for people, um, especially our Canadian friends, obviously, who, 
you know, battle the exchange rates and, and um, you know, just import duties and shipping and things of that nature and just lack of options there in Canada. So that's always been a big, a big draw for me is just trying to find a way to get boots and get product to Canada. And um, I think they're a great example because it's not like the U.S. here where somebody could, you know, look, you know, look online and order from somewhere else. I mean, they call us because, you know, we have the selection, we have the expertise. And, and I think that keeping it simple is really key with footwear. I think the minute you get into a scenario where you're overthinking it, you should probably take them off and sleep on it. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of what we do in here when somebody's in here trying on boots. You get to a point where you kind of walk by and somebody's they're on their sixth or seventh pair of boots and second, third size, we should probably take a break, right? We should probably move on. Um, but, you know, all things aside, it's workable. Uh, if somebody needs a pair of boots from afar and we have them, I'm happy to happy to send them over and obviously talk through, kind of figure out what kind of foot they've got and uh, just kind of work the problem. And if we need to switch things out, it, it's just part of the game. You're going to do it with a big box store anyways, right? So um, that's kind of why we try to accommodate as much as we can with, with footwear especially. Uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, very cool. Um, any uh, big changes or, you know, you said Krispies come on the market now. Is there anything new in boots that have come out that were ground earth shattering, anything groundbreaking that really stand out? Well, you know, I'd say I'd say footwear is, is definitely um, evolving, just like technology in general, where um, you get to a point where there's there's all kinds of different brands out there. And I think that once you kind of get it narrowed down to – you know, some of those top key boots that we know are lasting on sheep hunts or these mountain hunts. I mean, that, that's half of the battle, right? It's just trying to weed out some of these boots that we know the soles are wearing out quick or, you know, they're blowing out on big, heavy loads. or Maybe they're just not giving the support or maybe they're using a lower level waterproofing. Um, I think the key is, is figuring out what kind of foot you've got, right? So, it's uh, technology-wise, I mean, yes, Crispy, Kenetrek, Loa, Hanbach, I think everybody's staying pretty top-notch when it comes to ingredients. Um, but I think that kind of goes back to my comment earlier about, you know, we get this all the time where guys are just like, hey, you know, my buddies are my buddies are running these, these Hanboks, right? Um, and they're doing super awesome. I'd like to try them. I got no problems with that, right? Like, awesome. Let's see how they fit your feet. Um, but that's really the key to it, right, is is uh, it's not a truck uh, where, you know, your family drives a Ford your whole life, so you're going to drive a Ford. Um, it's not really that conversation. It, it's more in-depth than that. So I think that in this day and age, the top-name brands are all doing what they need to do to stay on the top end of the technology. And I think it's really up to the end consumer to make sure they're doing their research and, and actually putting their feet in these boots to make sure that they work for them. I mean... I can't say it enough that taking a friend's recommendation on, well, this, my buddy's a guide and he's been running these boots, you know, da, 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 it's not always the best scenario for you. Um, so I think, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think, you know, naturally, Christy, Kenetrek, Loa, Hanvog, Scarpa, La Sportiva, those are all your big brands that there's nothing really game changing about any of them. It's just about figuring out which boot fits your foot. Right on. Yeah. And, um, I have to say, I, I've kind of experienced that myself. I, uh, I ran the Hanvogs, Hanwags, I call them, um, for, uh, I've, I've had two pairs of them and they were great boots uh, and fantastic, but I always ended up with some hot spots uh, at, at some point in my sheep trip. And, um, I don't know if it was you told me or somebody mentioned, you know, 
if you have good boots, you you know you pr- you probably shouldn't really be getting blisters. Um, so I switched it up to Lois this last time, and I've got two years now and no blisters. So obviously it's it's the right fit for my foot, right? And I've been Absolutely. really happy with them for sure. Both great boots, of course. So, okay, cool, man. Um, so number two you talked about was pack. So age old question: internal, external. You know, okay. So and and there's a discussion there. We'll go into that, but and I think purely a sheep hunting trip. It you know that that kind of narrows it down. But a guy that's got a budget and he needs one pack. A buddy of mine right now. He, he's he hunts. He's, he wants to get into sheep hunting and he's looking at packs right now. Um, he's going to use my Barney's this year. I just said, take my Barney's and use it. Um, uh, we're hunting at different times. Go try it out. See what you think. So a guy comes in limited budget, might want to go an elk might, but this year he's doing a sheep hunt. Where, where are you going to send them? What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> so obviously one of the comments that I made earlier was, you know, from a selection standpoint, um, we obviously make our own packs. I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, we do make our own packs. They're under the Frontier Gear of Alaska emblem. Everybody knows them as Barney's pack. A true, a true traditional external frame, aluminum frame pack, right? Um, you know, nobody's really reinventing the wheel, I would say, with packs in general. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'll be the first to say, and I think that you made this comment earlier, that depending on who you are and what you do, a Barney's pack may not be the right fit for you, right? So, what I like to do, and one of the things about having a brick and mortar storefront is, I mean, I carry Stone Glacier, Kafaru, Mystery Ranch, and then of course our own packs, right? And the first thing I do with anybody that comes in that's looking for a pack is, I want you to try these frames on, right? I want you to really put them on. I want you to feel the hip belt. I want you to feel how this pack moves. Let's put some weight in it. And I want you to pick the right one for you, right? And I think the bag that's on it's irrelevant, right? I mean, naturally with a sheep, a sheep hunt, we're gonna be going high capacity. But the, the feel of that pack, right? It's, it's very similar to the footwear conversation. Um, everybody's anatomy is a little bit different. Everybody's body shaped a little bit different. Most of the internal hybrid frames nowadays are fully adjustable. So, I mean, you can get yourself a customizable torso length and a different size hip belt, you know, if need be to kind of accommodate what you've got going. Um, I mean, as you know, um, it's interesting to see the full 360 circle. I mean, you got guys that run an external frame pack, whether it's an Alps or, a, you know, a Cabela's frame, or maybe it's even just an older Barney's frame that maybe was a hand-me-down. And then they kind of migrate over to, like, some of your Stone Glaciers and your Mystery Ranches and your Kafaru's, which, again, I carry them. They're great packs. Um, most of the owners of those companies are friends of mine. Great people. They build a great product. And they would probably be the first to tell you the same thing, that not every pack is made for everybody, right? And so um, you start to see this gravitate where they'll try out some of these lighter weight frames. Because, I mean, who doesn't want to save a pound and a half, right? Um, especially on a sheep hunt where you're looking at everything and it's like, I can't shave an ounce anymore. I'm done. I can't. I, I, I'm tapped out. Um, so, and then you start to see them use these packs and then come back to a Barney's pack. Uh, a couple years later. So it's kind of a cool evolution. And it's not that those packs don't do the trick. It's just that for what we're doing, especially Alaska and Canada, the style of hunting um, is much, much different, as you know, than a lot of places in the States, right? And and to be fair, I get people that call me that are going on a guided sheep hunt here in Alaska. And maybe their outfitter recommended a Barney's pack, right? Just because that's what they use. And obviously a lot of the guides and the outfitters, both in Canada and Alaska, use the use our packs because of how they do under heavy loads. But 
to be fair, um, not to say that a non-resident or a client doesn't work their butt off for their sheep because they absolutely do, but the reality would be is they're not consistently doing these 100 plus pound loads. Um, that's not a part of their every year, you know, mixed mix bag of hunts. So what I try to do to be fair is, is evaluate that. And if somebody's gonna come up on a sheep hunt, but then they're gonna be going home to hunt mule deer and things of that nature, um, or white tail, whatever it might be, uh, a Barney stack might not be the best option for you, right? You can get by with doing a higher capacity stone glacier or a Kafaru or a mystery ranch pack, or even like an Exo mountain gear, something that I don't carry. Um, but I think what you, what you do see is one of the highlights of our pack is gonna be, as you know, um, when you get into that 100 pound threshold, when you start to exceed 100 pounds, and no matter how you skin it, uh, it doesn't matter how light you're going in, you're going to come out over 100 if you're successful with a sheep, right? Unless you've got five guys and a camera crew to help you, which is a part of the game in some senses, but not, not for you and me, right? And the average hunter, they're going to be over 100 pounds. And I think that that's where the threshold starts to like starts to turn over into a Barney's pack. And that's really what I tell people is, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel with a Barney's pack. I mean, we're, we're build a hell of a product and all made here in the U.S. And I love it, right? It's, it's an awesome pack. we got a great following. Um, and I'd be the first to tell you it's not for everybody. But at a 100-pound threshold, when you start talking about putting 100 pounds on a Barney's pack and 100 pounds on another brand, that's when you start to see things change. And I think that for a guy on a budget, to answer your question, especially a guy here in Alaska, you know, maybe it's a military guy that just got stationed here or um, a family that's moved here and the, and the guy wants to get into hunting, whatever it might be. One pack to do it all. I don't think there's too many people that could argue with me that a Barney's pack would do just about everything uh, under the sun, especially in our neck of the woods in North America uh, and Canada, obviously. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think that kind of answers it, but um, it's not to be biased because uh, I like I like to sell stuff in general. I want to get the person into the right product, but evaluating them just like footwear I think is important. Um, and I think any of the packs that I've named are, are awesome products. Yeah, right on. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. And I, I have to vouch for that too, that uh, for me, the Barney's excels um, when, you, when you kill something. When you're loaded up and you're hiking out, that's when you notice a difference. And um, you know, I, I've used other brands and, um, you, the whole time out, your legs are hurting and so are your freaking shoulders and your hips and, and everything's hurting. And like, honestly, with the Barney's, like you just, you put it on and you, it, the arm, the, your, your shoulders and your waist are not an issue. Your legs still hurt like hell, but, uh, it just, it, it fits like your light. Um, and it, it's just the perfect fit in that regard. So I agree with you that I, that's where it excels for me anyway, in my experience. So, um, cool, man. Um, anything else to touch on packs wise? Or are we going to jump into our next category here? Yeah, I mean, I think the end end comment would just be um, once again, you know, this isn't a pickup truck. Uh, don't be too biased on you know what your friends use or you know what your your guides using. Like, really, really focus on what fits you. And I understand that ultimately, um, not everybody has the luxury of coming into Barney's um, and making note that there's not too many stores around the country that have this many brands under one roof. Um, do what you can. I think it's an important, even if you have to return things and pay shipping returns and things of that nature, find the frame that works for you um, and make sure it's fitted. Uh, I think that's another key thing that I didn't touch on, but I mean, you can take a 
Arnie pack that fit for you, for example, and all of a sudden you sell it to a buddy who is five foot six um, and 120 pounds, and that pack's not going to be fitted to him. And I think that no matter what pack you pick, you need to make sure that you follow those guidelines. And and most most companies have product videos that will help you get that pack fitted correctly. Um, and if, if you can get that fit, that pack fitted, I think you're going to have uh, a better go at just giving it a fair fair run in the sun. You know, you start getting into like, oh well, I just bought one off the shelf, and I'm going to go throw 100 pounds in it. Even a Barney pack might hurt, right? I mean, it's got to be fitted. And I think that that's an important part of the puzzle. And most of these pack companies would agree with me there that we want to make sure those packs are fitted correctly. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Okay, cool. Uh, right on. Uh, let's let's jump into the clothing stuff. Um, base, mid, outer, rain gear. Um, you know, and I know you guys have a variety of products there, but... Uh, sure. You know, uh, anything we need to touch on and guys should be thinking about. Um, and, and I think one of the keys there, maybe you can touch on, is kind of the system, right? Where it's not, you know, you're not looking at anything uh, exclusively or independently. It's all it's all part of a greater system and, and how you kind of set guys up for that. Sure. Sure. And I mean, I, I think to keep it easy, right? Keep it condensed. Um, obviously, depending on if you can do merino wool, I highly suggest you do merino wool base layers. Um, so if you think of this whole system, as four layers, right? I like to talk to people about four layers. In your head, four layers. The first layer is going to be your base layer, right? And that's kind of where most of the industry has gone to merino wool or some sort of blend. If you can't do wool, go to your poly, you know, your capoline, polypro type stuff. Not a problem. It's just going to smell a little bit more after a couple of days. Um, so, you know, I don't spend a ton of time talking about base layers because I think that most companies do a pretty good job. And however you want to buy your base layers, you buy your base layers. The mid-layer is another area I don't talk a ton about just because everybody's different. Um, But your mid-layer is kind of what I would call your high-output layer. So that's going to be your mainstay hunting pant and hunting top. Um, Naturally, um, a four-way stretch nylon quick-drying product of some sort. I mean, I could name a million brands that make all the same concepts. I mean, the Kuyu attack pant, the Sitka Timberline pant, some places the Havilland pant. I mean, First Light makes their pant as well. I mean, there's all kinds of good pants out there that dry quick, um, breathe, stretch, mobile, right? You're going to be wearing, especially on a sheep hunt, not many of us take two pairs of pants, right? I mean, you're going to be wearing this one pair of pants the entire time. So they got to dry quick, they got to breathe, they got to stretch, they got to be durable. Um, same thing with the top, some grid fleece type pattern of some sort that's going to wick moisture, dry out fast. I would say the two main layers that I like to spend a lot of time and focus on in terms of like back to our budget conversation is an insulation layer and a rain shell, right? So I think that the insulation layer of, of all four layers gets overlooked the most. Um, and I think it only takes about one sheep hunt for you to be laying on the side of the mountain freezing your butt off before you evaluate your insulation. And so naturally you see nowadays focusing on weight right which i do think that um it's great to be weight conscious and i think that uh you know we see a lot where people are like well this company makes their insulated jacket that weighs you know 16 ounces and your guys's offerings are all you know going to be 24 and up right Uh, i think it's important to know as a sheep hunter in general whether you're talking clothes backpack boots doesn't really matter you got to know when to draw the line on weight, right? So I think an experienced hunter will, will obviously be a little heavier, right? So it's kind of like that full circle we talked about with packs. Um, naturally, we all kind of start out heavy, 
then we get really light and then we're back to almost heavy again, right? Just because we're not willing to compromise. And so the insulation layer, um, I mean, obviously we make our own, the Brooks Range and the Super Cub jackets. Bob brought those, you know, designed those jackets a long time ago. I've put a little spin on them here in the last couple of years, nothing too crazy. Um, but I think it's important to spend some time thinking about down versus synthetic. I mean, obviously down is gonna be more compressible. Um, a little a little sketchy if it gets wet, but of course some of the technology in today's world with hydrophobic down and things of that nature has really brought a good mix. Um, from my experience, I think Stone Glacier is doing about the best job with hydrophobic down. I don't really think that they skimp too much on the amount of fill that's in those jackets. So again, when you're laying on the side of the hill and, and your buddy's got a lightweight insulated jacket and you've got a, a little bit heavier, puffier synthetic jacket and you're warm and he's not, Right. I mean, what would you be willing It's the old fashioned? What would you be willing to pay at that point in time, you know, in terms of gear to have to be warmer, to be drier? Um, so the insulation there, I think, is key. And you know, whether you take that insulated pants or not, that's kind of up to you. And I would say it's very relative to the hunt and the time of year. Um, but then going right into your rain shell. Right. I think that a rain shell is very important to talk about because you have everything from rubberized rain gear all the way to your. $700 beta AR or Garrix three layer pro shell, right? And where do you, where do you kind of draw the line on what you can afford? I mean, up here in Alaska, you know, honestly, if you're not going to wear rubber, you should be in a three layer hard shell, right? Something that is expensive and durable and packable, but yet, you know, going to keep the rain off you. So, I mean, from an evolutionary standpoint, I think a lot of people um, don't like Gore-Tex, right? I think Gore-Tex has a bad rap, but I spend a lot of time trying to curb that just because, you know, when I first bought Gore-Tex, um, I didn't know that there was like five different types of Gore-Tex. Um, and it just took some experience laying on the mountain, having this lightweight, ultralight shell that cost me 200 bucks, thinking that, hey, I've got Gore-Tex, it's got to be the best, right? Well, and then you come to find out, well, what's the difference between a $250 range shell and a $600 range shell? Well, that could be the difference between shooting that 40 inch ram and not, right? So I think that, you know, you really wanna pay attention to what you invest in, in that insulation gear and that hard shell, because I think that as I made this statement earlier, a guy could wear cotton base layers and Carhartt pants, but if you've got a quality insulated jacket and quality rain gear, um, I think mixed in with a good pair of boots and a pack, you're gonna be in, in really good shape, right? Um, and, you know, if you're going to throw your money at something, really focus on those two layers. Right on. Uh, really good advice. Um, just a shout out to uh, the Frontier Gear sweaters. The uh, There's that woolly mammoth sweater and there's a synthetic one. Do you guys still offer the synthetic one as well? Yeah, it's called uh, the Nunavac, uh, named after yeah. the, the Nunavac Mustox hunt that we've got up here, pretty prestigious. Um, but it's an island in Alaska here. But it's 100% Primaloft fleece, so the same insulation that we use in our in our puffy jackets, the Super Cub and the Brook Range. It's a refined brushed fleece that they've basically taken that insulation. So super warm when it's wet, it dries quick. I mean, both those pullovers are just kind of a, an old school way of, of of a great mid layer that can do a lot. Yeah, love it. I, I take uh, I take the wool one on my hunt. And I wear it all the time, and it's it looks good, it looks sharp, and I love it. It's uh, one of my favorite piece of kit for all time that I wear everyday wear as well. So I uh, just wanted to shout out there. Um, okay, cool. So let's jump on. Um, let's talk. Let's touch on 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 tents. Somebody's going to come in. They need a system. Uh, they want to get set up. Um, 
I'm running the Nello GT. We've had some dialogue about that. Um, I know you have some different thoughts on that. And and maybe one of the things you could touch on is, uh, you know, are you running a bivy or a single person or you, you know, do, and is it 50, 50, you know, I, I, me and my partner, we, we split it, right. We carry one tent, but I know some guys like to have their own sleeping system. So, or their uh, shelter system. So what are your thoughts on that, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it all comes down. There's not a right or wrong answer there. I, I think the key would be is, I mean, it, it's tough for me to speak the broad spectrum U.S., right? But I think that speaking your language in Canada, Alaska, we have similar hunting environments. Um, up here and where you're at, uh, I would highly suggest a four-season tent, right? And I, and I think that sometimes people incorporate a four-season into like, well, I'm, I'm not doing any winter camping, right? It's not really about that. I think it's when you start to get above, above tree line um, and you start get into a scenario where you don't have trees and, and, you know, landscape to kind of break some of that wind, um, especially in places up here like Kodiak, the Alaska Peninsula. I mean, when you get into sheep country, some, coming off of some of these glaciers, I mean, you can have winds exceeding 60, 70 miles an hour. Um, and even in August where it's 75 degrees in the day, uh, it can snow at night, right? So um, I think a four season tent is generally speaking like a, a very safe play. Obviously, we, we sell Hilleberg primarily. We do sell this new stone glacier tent as well that has proven to be a, a great option. Um, but picking a tent that is is not just going to be this ultra-light sheep hunting tent. I see it a lot where guys come in, okay, I have my Nalo GT for my like base camp style concept, but then I want to go ultra-light when I spike out. And I, and I understand that concept, and it, and it very well may work for a lot of people, but I think that from one, a budget perspective, that's very tough for someone to buy more than one tent but then the more important aspect would just be uh understanding how fast the conditions can change i mean we had a year up here in alaska or in the brooks range it was 75 and sunny one day uh and then august 11th rolled around uh you know the day after opening day for sheep and they got a foot and a half two feet of snow in the brooks range so picture yourself you know uh going ultra light um and then things not going as planned, right? And I think that if you think about that on the front end, you start to start to realize, okay, so I'm gonna compromise in some categories, but with your shelter being one of mankind's obviously one big thing, right? I mean, you gotta have a shelter. And, and for me personally, I've just been there too many times where um, I've been in these conditions where it's unbelievable. And to think that I would have brought a lighter tent or something that maybe wouldn't have held up, you start to kind of contemplate like, what would you do, right? So to focus on something that cannot just do a cheap hunt, but then other things too. And I think that, you know, up here, especially we get people that just think, well, it's gonna be nice and sunny all the time and it's August and I'm not gonna have very much weather. And then you start to get to that 4,000 foot elevation, you're back up against a glacier you know, your rivers are coming up. I mean, it's potentially snowing. So I'm a big four season guy, even if it means you have to carry a little bit of extra weight. I think when you're laying there and pardon my French, but shit hits the fan. Um, but you know that you're dry and you're safe, right? Your shelter is going to hold up no matter what happens. Um, that's a big piece of mind that I think you just can't put a dollar sign on. Um, and I see it too often where guys are like, well, I'm not going to even take a tent. I'm going to take a bivy or I'm going to take a tarp. Um, and that may work in some parts of the States where, you know, you're, you're a phone call away from the truck or from a friend that can come help you. But 
as you well know, I mean, in, in a lot of these places where these where these thin-horned sheep especially live, the only phone call you can really make is a helicopter to come get you, right? So I think when you're paying attention to tents, really ask yourself what you're willing to compromise and picture yourself laying on the side of a hill in a broken pole tent that was three-season old light. You were lighter than all of your buddies going in, but now you're cuddled up next to one of them in their four-season tent. You know, at that point, I think you should think about maybe carrying a little bit more weight. Yeah, sage advice, uh, absolutely, and uh, that's that's the one thing that will end your hunt, right? If you if you're screwed shelter wise, you're off the mountain, and if you if you ha you have the right gear, you just wait it out, right? The weather's going right. to change; it's not going to be like that for two weeks. So, um, yeah, that you know, a good tent has definitely saved uh, my bacon more than once for sure. So, okay, cool. Um, so another big one for me, and I think a, a tough one for guys, and a, 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 I get a lot of guys that are interested in getting on the mountain. Uh, obviously, lots of questions about packs. And the other one that seems to come up all the time is sleeping systems. So, you know, uh, and then the age-old question, are we uh, uh, down or synthetic? So guy comes in, he wants to, he wants to do a, a sheep hunt. And I know, again, an August sheep hunt versus an October sheep hunt are two different animals. But some guy comes in and he needs a one thing does all and he's going to go sheep hunting and he wants a system. Where do you head with that? Well, and I think that that question can be it's very ambiguous, right? Just because a lot of what we've talked about already plays into that decision, right? So if you're going to go with a, if you're going to sleep in a bivy or under a tarp um, and not take a tent, and then we translate into our sleep, you know, our, our sleeping bag conversation, I'm going to say probably you should probably take a synthetic bag, right? Just because what synthetic for us is obviously they can be soaking wet we can wring them out and they're still going to keep us warm they also pull moisture off of us right so obviously the concern with down is if it gets wet so, i mean although hydrophobic down has certainly kind of helped bridge that gap i'd say it's not enough um, to eliminate the uh, the fact of you know over time that down will get wet if you had a big emergency situation where you're crossing a stream we've all been there got your pack unbuckled and uh, you take a wrong step or it got too deep or too swift, your pack goes down river, everything's soaked, right? Um, those extreme situations, I think, kind of help dictate, you know, how you feel about those situations and how you would picture yourself in them. Um, I'm a big synthetic guy, naturally. Uh, I always kind of have been. Um, and there, there's light enough synthetics out there where I think that me personally, I, I like to save weight other places. I've toyed with the down. I have so many friends who are guides, outfitters, avid hunters that do a heck of a lot more than I do um, that are running down bags. They do extremely well with them. So I don't want to discredit that at all. I, I think it's, it's very important when you're answering that question of which direction you go. Um, it's about what kind of hunter you are. And, you know, I like to bring this up a lot because I think it's important to think about. If you were going to take your wife or your girlfriend with you on a sheep hunt, what would you put them in, right? Um, most people, after hearing the differences between down and synthetic, we would naturally want to take care of that person by putting them in a synthetic bag so that we know they're going to be warm and safe no matter what. So naturally use that as kind of a guide of like, okay. Um, but, I mean, to be fair, again, I think it's very, I mean, if you've got, if you've got the Nalo GT, and, you know, you've got some of the highest grades, you know, compression, waterproof compression sacks out there to keep that bag safe. And you're very conscious of it. Why not save the weight and uh, and get a down bag uh, and the space for that matter? But, you know, I think that 
I like to talk about synthetic bags like kind of a Barney stack where it's a one and one and done, right? If you're running a synthetic bag, it's kind of like a Barney stack where you can pretty much do anything under the sun uh, and and get it done, right? Not have to worry too much. And the other the other point that I like to make on that conversation is having been there at least a little bit, right? I mean, I'm just like you, where uh, there's a lot of guys that have done a heck of a lot more than I have, but. What I do know about hunting, and especially sheep hunting or mountain hunting in general, when you see the plane fly away or you know that you're a long distance away from from any help, is the, it's the mental stressors that we that we incur. I mean, it's it's a roller coaster, right? I mean, all of a sudden you see a sheep day five, and it's the biggest ram you've ever seen, and you hadn't seen anything leading up to it, and then he's gone. Um, or maybe you get soaked because you fell in a creek or you know you're running out of time and you know you got to get home and you spent a bunch of money there's all these mental stressors that come into play and i think that if choosing your gear can help ease your mind uh out there in the field where you know like hey it's been raining for four days and my bag's starting to get you know wet from condensation and things of that nature that's one more stressor that you could have probably eliminated had you just got a synthetic bag if that makes sense um so I just like to kind of eliminate, you know, when I'm picking gear, I like to pick gear for me personally. And again, I think you made a great point on the time of year too. And you could even take a look at the weather. If you have the luxury of having a couple bags hanging in your gear room um, and it's just been a phenomenally dry year, hey man, save a half a pound or a pound and take your down bag. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, if you can eliminate some stress um, on, on the situation and take a synthetic bag and just I maybe shave and wait other places. That's what I, I feel the best as a retail sales associate first, right? Selling a synthetic bag because I know that no matter that person's experience, um, it's a great start, if not a great bag for them in general, longevity wise. All right, on. Um, can you touch on um, anything with the sleeping pads? I guess there's not much there. You, 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 Pick your R value and you just, you know, obviously getting a pad of some sort, probably yep. inflatable more than likely, and off you go. Yeah. Great options, but yeah, I would say, you know, the technology in sleeping bags is through the roof. I mean, whether you're right. looking at Thermarest, XPad, I mean, there's a million of them, Climates out there, obviously. You've got Sea to Summit making pads now. They're all R valued and light and compressible and expensive. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I think that's a pretty self-explanatory one. Um, not much really new in that category. Okay, cool. Um, so obviously there's a ton more stuff we can go into, cooking solutions, um, you know, survival gear. Um, but, you know, we've got limited time here. So let's just talk um, kind of on a more holistic or, or big scale thing. Um, in terms of your pack, like what, what one thing when you plan your trip and you're heading out, do you make sure you don't go without, um, and it's just a personal thing that you, you're just not going to be out, out there with other than the obvious, um, anything to stand out? Well, if, uh, if bourbon and <laughs> bars are not, are not obvious, um, you know, um, I, I say this quite often. I don't do too many podcasts, but, uh, I've done one other one and I was asked the same question. Um, and I get asked this question a lot and, uh, I know it might sound kind of silly, but I think if you really break it down, um, I can tell you, a, you know, a handful of, of scenarios that I've been in where a lightweight tarp um, comes in handy um, and, and quite honestly can save can save you a tremendous amount of time, energy. Um, I mean, whether it's building a, you know, a little shelter 
gasoline for you to get out of the rain to glass, uh, you know, an overnight shelter. A shelter, you know, I mean, I, I've used my lightweight, you know, Hilleberg, I think does one of the best jobs in the tarp category. I know Kafaru does too. Um, but, you know, even just say, you know, a lot of times we shoot these rams last light, right? Um, and all of a sudden it starts raining and blowing and nasty. I mean, I've put tarps over the animal and, and field dress them in the pouring rain, right? Just to stay warm and dry. Um, I've used them, you know, obviously as a lightweight, hey, I'm gonna take off for the day and I'm gonna go explore up here. Worst case scenario, I've got my lightweight tarp and my sleeping bag and my pad and I can make shelter if I need to. There's just so many endless uses for a lightweight tarp that, I mean, at, you know, sub a pound on some of these tarps, I'd say it's probably one of the, when I'm laying everything out and I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm a little heavy or, you know, hey, I'm only going for six, seven days this time, not 10, what can I shed? Um, I'm not shedding food, that's for sure. I'm not shedding bourbon, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, the tarp always down to the chopping block and I time in and time out I always throw it in because it's just one of those things that I think if you've got an ultra light tarp and a couple extra stakes with you you can really extend what you can do as a human being I mean because obviously we don't belong up there right I mean we're in their world and and uh, the weather changes fast and you know naturally like if you left your camp behind and you've got to drop down three, 4,000 feet and across the drainage and you've only got so much time on your hands and you know where this ram is laying, why not just post up, right? Why not just set that tarp up real quick, get your sleeping bag out, catch a couple Zs, wake up and, and go get them. But if you've got to drop back down or carry your camp around everywhere, um, you know, I, I just think a tarp is no question, never, never not in my pack. Yeah, right on. Um... I'm with you. I, I, Bob, Bob convinced me I needed a sill dome back in the day. So that thing goes with me on, I'd say probably 60% of my trips every once in a while I leave it behind. Same thing. It's always, I'm thinking, I don't need it. I don't need it, but it saved me. I've, been, I've spent the night on the mountain under this, on the sill, under the sill dome. And, uh, you know, it was one of the coldest nights I've ever had, but, uh, yeah. it, it kept us alive. Right. And, uh, you know, right. it's certainly not going to be warm, but it, it was functional. So uh, a luxury item. Do you carry a luxury item or is there anything like guys are like, what can I take? Um, you know, I actually carry a really super lightweight chair. Um, uh, I think Helionox or something uh, yourself. You got anything on your list? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I think that, uh, you know, up here in Alaska, we use book planes a lot. I mean, I, I haven't really talked to you in length about how you guys get in and out of places, but you know, if anybody, if you ever hunted up here, uh, or use somebody with a bush plane. I mean, hurry up and wait, right? That's the old scene with bush planes. And, you know, the weather can be great and you're sitting around going, man, they're going to be here any minute. And three days later, they show up, right? So between getting getting backed up and weather and things of that nature, especially as you increase into the fall, um, when you're sitting on an airstrip uh, with no back support, leaning up against the pack, uh, it could crush you, right? I mean, um, you might spend the next two months getting over that. <laughs> So a Crazy Creek roll-up chair, a Helinox chair of some sort. I mean, for goodness sakes, you don't even have to carry it around. Um, but the best example I could give you is when you go with a buddy and he whips out the chair and you left it behind because you wanted to be light, you're going to just be dreading it, right? So I'm with you. I think from a luxury perspective, a little bit extra whiskey and a chair does a lot. <laughs> right on. <Yeah. laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, okay. Anything new that's come out in that last you know year year and a half that stands out a piece of 
kit that you're just like, yeah, this is revolutionary or, or just, you know, uh, head and shoulders above anything else? Anything stand out that you can think of that's kind of revolutionized things? I mean, it's always a tough question because, you know, we get that a lot where guys come in, hey, what's new, right? Um, I mean, nothing specific, to be honest. Um, but what what I will say is it's uh, it's impressive how far gear has come and how how it continues to be refined. And uh, there's just so much good stuff out there. And I think that, you know, you and I talked initially before we came on the air about not getting your, your head wrapped around one brand, right? Um, not getting sucked into... Well, I have to be everything this brand, right? I think, and I, I think as an industry that's changing, right, where people are a little more open-minded to like solid colors and things that they can incorporate, you know, and not be that traditional like head-to-toe one brand. Um, but I think, even though it's not answering your question directly, I think it's important to kind of mix into that question, just because, you know, naturally there's so many good products out there um, that every single brand i mean they're just feeding off each other and every year it's something new here or new there and there's a counteract measure taken with another brand and and so naturally um there's a lot of cool stuff out there that just continues to get better and better and better uh and keeping an open mind about that and not just being your head down like hey this is my brand i'm sticking with them whatever they come out with is what i'm getting um i mean there's some definitely uh, a lot of advances in the bino harness world, I think, is one category that I've seen a lot of traction on. So, you know, the old-fashioned bungee bouncing, you know, off your chest and while you're trying to run up the hill. Um, I mean, you got companies like Marsupial Gear, FHF Gear, Stone Glacier just came out with their new one. Um, I think that those bino harnesses are huge, man. And I, I, I always talk about optics in all my sheep hunting seminars that I give because, I mean, the more you see the the more your more opportunity you have right and um you know i think that having uh, having a good vinyl harness is, is actually pretty key but i mean coming to mind one last thing i'd say if i had to say like one revolutionary thing the inreach units um yeah. those inreach units are phenomenal i mean i'm usually the first to say like hey when i'm out in the woods i want to be cut off i don't want to call home very often and sat phones kind of helped with that because naturally we would just like get cut off and like well we kind of told them we're good and we'll call them in a couple days um but these new inreach units are phenomenal between using some of the onyx hunting systems if you're down in the states and you've got a lot of private land mixed into public land knowing where you're hunting i think educationally and also just from like up here and probably in canada for example um you know being able to look and high def at some of these maps and communicate with the outside world um, has, it, it's just a huge advance. I mean, uh, even 10 years ago, we didn't have that, right? I mean, it was the old fashioned sat phone call where you basically start off with, Hey, I'm okay. I'm probably going to get cut off, but I'll call you back. Whereas these inreach units are just getting better and better and better. I mean, Garmin just launched the, like, I think it's called the Montana or something. And it's like high def maps. I mean, you can chip map it. You can, I mean, take pictures with the darn unit. Um, so I think between the vinyl harness systems advancing and more of the gear aspect and from the electronics world, the, the inreaches are tough to beat, man. If you don't have one, you better get one cause they're, they're darn nice. Right on. Yeah. Awesome, man. Appreciate that. Um, so one last question for you, uh, 21, 22, any new gear coming out from Barney's? Are you working on anything? I know you're an innovator. You're always coming in with new stuff. You got cool equipment, uh, anything coming down the pipe? 
Well, so I just I just launched um, a new rendition on some of the Barney packs. We added some compression straps. We added um, some directional poles. Obviously, we upgraded our hip belt a couple of years ago. We added some accessories this year, an optional lumbar support for those of us that want lumbar support, some hip belt pockets, um, a new rain cover. But I'd say the biggest news we got coming will be early summer. We've got a new hunting pant coming out. Um, oh, cool. And to be fair, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we're not reinventing the wheel on anything, but it's called the PA-18 pants. So for those of us that don't, don't know what a PA-18 is, it's it's basically a Super Cub, right? It's, it's the original Super Cub. Um, and we've obviously named one of our jackets after that, but, um, the PA 18 pant, uh, is going to be released late spring, early, early summer. Um, and it's a culmination really is what it is of everything that's out there, um, and how we could make it better, uh, what cool. they were missing. So, you know, I don't have the luxury of, of building, um, you know, two, three, four different pants to try to fill the niche of everybody. Um, so there's certainly going to be some people that this pant doesn't apply to, but, from a sheep hunting perspective, um, we took some of the biggest name brands out there, laid out their pants. We've used them. We've beat them up. Um, kind of the old-fashioned Bob way of how to design stuff is where are the weak points? What would we like to add? And and we just created a pant that I think is going to be, uh, again, it's not going not gonna to change the world. It's not going to change the industry. But it's going to offer a unique spin on a lightweight sheep hunting pant with some vents, some reinforced knees and seat, a nice quick drying four-way trick fabric, um, and just a very simple pocket design. Um, and I'm hopeful that it'll be a Barney's mainstay for a long time. But that's coming down the pipeline. Um, like I said, late spring, early summer, it's going to be an awesome addition to the Barney's lineup. Awesome, man. I'm t- totally stoked. I'm going to check it out for sure. So, um, cool. So, uh, we've kind of used our time up here, Kevin, and I really appreciate you. I know you're staying late here and, uh, you're supposed to be at home with the family. So thank you for that. Um, so anyone that wants to get some Barney's gear, I know a lot of sheep hunters in BC use you, you know, um, they're, we talk about you all the time and, uh, Barney packs are mainstay on the mountains of BC. I see them everywhere, uh, including on my back. So somebody wants to buy some gear from you. How do they get in touch? What's the best way to do to do that? Yes, I mean, at the end of the day, we're old-fashioned, right? I mean, it's one of the griefs that we get a lot is, is our website is a catalog, right? So, I mean, you can go to our website, uh, barneysports.com, U.S. is in the middle, one at the end, uh, and use that as a guide, right? So, I mean, you can create a profile, you can add things to your cart, um, but I want to talk to you. I want to be a part of your gear selection, and I apologize if that, if that offends anybody or, you know, is inconvenient, but it's really crucial to what we do here. So, go to our website or just give us a call. Uh, even if it's just like a staged question, right? Like, hey, I'm looking into backpacks. Can you talk to me a little bit about your guys' packs versus some of the others in the market? Um, we like to talk to people. We like to be a part of your gear selection. And on the other side of that, we, we're here if things go wrong too. Um, so go to our website. We've got a Facebook page. we got an Instagram uh, you know, account. Um, all those places you can see updates and things of that nature, especially with some of those new products coming out. But website or good old-fashioned up the phone and call us um and we'd love to talk to you awesome man well hey kevin i can't thank you enough um for your time today but
but also just uh, your conservation footprint. Uh, you and I have had many uh, conversation on cold winter nights or cold winter days in Alaska, talking about sheep hunting, about ethics and conservation. And, and, and uh, I know that you're a diehard sheep hunter and you're just as passionate as anyone I know about it. Uh, it shows in what you do and, and, um, and you put your money where your mouth is. You've always supported the society and we're not the only ones you support as well. Um, the Barney's Ultimate Sheep Camp uh, has become a mainstay in what we do. Um, and you fully donate that stuff every year. So we can't thank you enough. It's just phenomenal what Barney's does and what you personally do. So I want to thank you for your time and, and just everything you do to support uh, wild sheep and conservation. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity. And as I've always told you, Kyle, I mean, uh, the opportunity as a small shop to, to help, you know, just asking for, you know, to be a part of it is is, is all, all that matters to us. And and you know, any, if we can help, we'll help, and and uh, we'd love to be a part of it. So, definitely uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you this evening. Yeah, likewise, bro. Uh, cheers, man. Have a good night. All right, cheers. See ya.